0: This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports.
1: Well, we're always thrilled when we can be joined by our next guest because not only does he have a terrific, terrific perspectives on the Denver Broncos, his own program. Good morning, Broncos. You can check that on MileySports.com and, of course, uh, anywhere on YouTube. But, uh, you know, he's one of our colleagues, co-workers partners, if you will. Cody Rourke, Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle joining us. Cody, thanks for joining us uh, today. We're looking at the Broncos' uh, second preseason game with the first one in the rear view. Uh, Sean Payton wants to refine things in this particular game. He was pretty clear about what he wanted to see from his offense, from his defense, and also even talked a little bit about the idea of winning in preseason, pointed out it was vastly uh, behind the evaluation part of the equation, but clearly had a hint in which turning things around by getting wins, however you can get them was also important as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I think Sean is a, a big believer in, I, I would say identity, right. You know, for the Broncos, they've been accustomed to losing for the last seven, almost eight years at this point. And, you know, I think the thing is, is you, you have to find a ways to win, but to a point, I mean, Debra went two and one on the preseason last year. Um, So for me, it's always hard, right? I think the evaluation process and preseason is always the best bet there. Obviously, you want to win. Winning is nice. Um, But I feel like there's more at stake when a game means something. You know, if you win it, obviously, it gets you one step closer to your goal of making the playoffs or winning a division. If you lose, it it brings you one step closer to being eliminated from the playoff contention conversation. So to me, it's kind of like this ebb and flow. But, I mean, Sean Payton is a gamer, and I think for him – He wants to win no matter what. Even if you're playing, I think, cards or you're playing a board game with him, he wants to win no matter what. That's how he's hardwired and uh, certainly can't knock it. I respect it.
2: Yeah, I liked his attitude in the postgame the other night, uh, to be sure. Uh, You know, he was asked kind of an evaluation question, and he got right to the idea that he hated to lose, which would be something different around here. Everybody wants to win. Very few people hate to lose. He seems to genuinely Especially didn't like that manner of loss. And he added, especially like that, (laughs) losing the way they did. You know, nine seconds to go, you have a seven-point lead. Uh, You stop the play, you win. You stop the two-point conversion, you win. Because nobody goes for ties in preseason. Uh, I I like that. I agree with you on uh, that point. I want to ask you a perspective question, not an evaluation question so much. Perspective question, how much are we to make of Russell Wilson and the offense apparently having some recent success in the red zone on the practice field? Because we know the other night in the game, the first-team offense didn't play a single down in the red zone. They scored the touchdown on a 21-yard pass. Uh, And, of course, they didn't get near the red zone on the other three possessions against the first-team Arizona defense what of Russell Wilson in the red zone is meaningful uh, or meaningless over the last few days
0: yeah i would say uh, a great perspective on it might be that you get a chance to get the quick passing game going and i think that was really the emphasis for them um you know obviously we saw the protection issues a little unorthodox to see a, a team in the preseason blitz as much and send as many guys as Arizona did, but maybe they just, uh, I don't know, maybe they just wanted to send a message somehow. Maybe they didn't like Russell Wilson or like, hey, you were going to send all this pressure at you. But, you know, if you do have a bad offensive line or if your offensive line isn't consistent enough in protection, one way you can mitigate some of those risks that you take there with a line like that is having a quick passing game. I mean, for years, uh, Derek Carr has absolutely torched the Broncos with a quick passing game. I mean, it's to the point where, you know, even though the Raiders didn't have the greatest offensive line during his time in, in Oakland and Las Vegas, he was just finding ways to carve the Broncos' defense apart. And I was, hey, I'm I'm getting the ball to my hands quickly. I'm not letting guys like Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, or other rushers get to me. I'm going to throw to a spot. And I think that's what we've seen a little bit out of Russell Wilson and the offense here in particular. And I'll even say a little bit in the Arizona game. We saw a little bit of an emphasis in the quick passing game. They tried to set up some of their play-action stuff, but – those things take a little bit longer to develop. And obviously when you're setting a, a cover zero, all-out pressure, and you have only three cover guys and seven rushers, and yeah, that's tough. Um, I, but I would say that for me this is a good perspective, and I think for Broncos fans is, okay, if the offensive line does struggle – well, you do have a, a way you can mitigate that by utilizing, hey, let's just snap the ball, get it to a spot, let's get positive yards, and then let's chunk it away with the run game, and then maybe something else will open up in the passing game on a deeper shot there. So I'd say like that is probably the biggest takeaway I would have on that.
1: So this game, of course, coming into the, one, uh, the, the next week with the, the Rams and the joint practices, Uh, what do you believe the Broncos need to see Sean Payton talked about what he wanted to see and that's that's all well and good but what do you think the Broncos need to see especially with an extended appearance by the starters on both offense and defense uh, anticipated
0: yeah I mean you need to see better protection I mean to be honest with you the the biggest concern I have on offense is uh miscommunication issues and errors I asked Joe Lombardi yesterday how do you how do you fix that? You know, if it's a leverage issue, like how do you fix that? And he, his response was something along the lines of, you know, guys, when you practice a certain way or you do something a certain way for a long time, then you get into a real game situation. Sometimes guys throw out everything you taught them and revert back to their you know older selves. And he said trying to get guys to get out of that habit is something that they're going to be monitoring here. Um, but more importantly, it's yeah, protect the quarterback. Not only just Russell Wilson, Jared Stidham didn't have a lot of time to throw against the Cardinals either. Ben DiNucci came in. It seemed like the only quarterback who had a chance to get the ball out of his hands in a quickly manner and not have pressure in his face. So uh, there is that element to it. Um, defensively, I, I'd say maybe along the lines of what Vance Joseph said, you just want to see a little bit more better tackling initially on first contact versus, you know, you maybe you get a third and seven versus you miss a tackle and then you get an additional four yards and all of a sudden it's, it's third and two and you find yourself on a shorter field position there. Uh, more importantly, seeing everybody stay healthy. But I, I want to see more out of the backups in terms of the secondary. I, I didn't feel like we saw enough last week from the second unit or even the third unit defense outside of Jaquan McMillan blitzing on a, on a nickel blitz and getting a sack, of thing Basti getting a pick. But we didn't see much from the other guys involved there. To me, I need to see a little bit more of that, especially with P.J. Locke going down with an injury. Now DeLarian Turner-Yale is going to have a, a bigger ask of him to go out on defense and make some plays. Caden Stearns did not participate in practice today. I wonder if it was a maintenance day. He's been dealing with a little bit of something that's been bothering him. So no Justin Simmons. That means that Kareem Jackson, Delarian Turner are probably going to have to get a lot of run here on Saturday if Caden Stearns is not playing. So I would just say you want to see those things from uh, from your guys in the action that you have because next after next week it gets real. Roster cuts will happen after next week's preseason game, and uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of guys looking for jobs and hoping to to make it on the fifty three.
1: We're talking with Cody Rourke of My Life Sports. Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle. And while you're on the subject of the safeties in the defensive backfield, much has been made a practice of how well the Broncos have been performing on offense and how it's grounded into form. And some of that certainly is true. And it's, as you expect, more practices, more time together, more familiarity gets better. But how do you parse out the fact that Pat Sertan, Justin Simmons, K1 Williams, sometimes Kareem Jackson, you talked about Caden Stearns, and Turner Yell, that there have been a lot of guys in that backfield, including a lot of starters that either haven't been practicing or been practicing at limited times. How do you get any sort of value of how much that offense is improving when the starters very rarely, at least in the defensive backfield have faced the starters in this training camp?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen a change this week and I think it's, I'm not sure why we've seen it, but, the first-team offense faced the second-team defense for the past few days. I think it's a good test for those young guys there, uh, and vice versa. You know, you see that because you're going to get different looks here. You have to be able to mix and match guys in, and I think that there are some guys that are performing well with other units that they want to see, okay, how does this guy do with the first-team unit? For example, last week in the preseason game, Isaiah Prince started at right tackle. I don't think he's going to start at right tackle this week. He's, he hasn't hardly gotten any reps there uh, it's been guys like Quinn Bailey. It's been undrafted rookie free agent Alex Pachewski out of Illinois. That's been, you know, these guys have been rotating in and is getting reps with the first team offense at right tackle. And part of me wants to see is, do you have a solution here? How does Garrett Bowles play? Um, you can only do so much because you can't tackle your own guys in practice. I, you know, obviously that's something that you just simply can't do. It's in the CBA. you got to be safe with guys. For me, it's, you have to just go out in the games And, and it's tough because it's like, okay, Hey, the preseason what's real, what's not right. One guy may perform really well. One position group may perform really well in one preseason game, but then the next week they may not play. It's like, okay, do you have a large enough sample size on these guys? Which is why Sean Payton has said it's, you know, the games hold the most weight, but there's an overall body of work that they are looking at that's dating back to OTAs that they have files on all these guys for. So, um that's going to be, I think, an interesting point to see maybe where guys are at. But, you know, the Raiders, are, the Raiders game is coming up really quickly here week one, and that's going to be a tough challenge with uh, Tyree Wilson, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, and the, some of the defensive guys that they've added. And not to mention, who knows what they're going to look like with Jimmy G at quarterback, but they still have Devontae Adams, which is a weapon in and of itself.
2: When you talk about the offensive line, I don't think Friday night you could get away from the fact that Garrett Bulls looked pretty much immobile. Uh, people running around him left and right. Uh, ben Powers at left guard getting thrown around like a ragdoll. By a defensive line that may be the worst in all of professional football. Uh, at least on the left side of the offensive line, doesn't there have to be some concern? I know Bulls only played five games last year, and maybe it'll take a little longer to come back from the broken leg. I thought Powers was awful the other night. Awful.
0: Yeah, he's going to have to step up. I mean, you paid him a lot of money, and, right? And it, I say this is the concern right now. You you paid Mike McGlinchey a ton of money. Yep. He's not available right now. You paid Ben Powers a lot of money. Didn't have a good first impression in that game, and you hope to see maybe some of the issues kind of squared away. I think a lot of it, looking at it, is uh, you know Sean Payton even mentioned it. Leverage. You know, there were times where he could have taken a better angle on, let's say, you know, a two-eye, a guy who's lined up on the inside shade of his shoulder next to Lloyd Cushenberry, or, you know, three techniques. I think a lot of it is... I I honestly felt like last week the offensive line wasn't prepared for anything outside of a four-man rush, which, I mean, you have to be prepared for that because that's what teams are going to throw at you in the regular season, even though you don't normally see that in the preseason. I think there was some miscommunication stuff, but I think it's all about angles and a little bit of leverage. and, And, yeah, I mean, if this week... He struggles. It's going gonna, it's gonna to present some questions before the regular season as, was this the right move for them to make? And, uh, I mean, I, I hope that's the case because he, he is physical. He's got all the, the mean, nasty traits that you want in a guard, but he's got to be able to do it. And we didn't get to see that in the first game. So, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of pressure riding on him in this game, and hopefully we see a better product of him.
1: I, I'm not asking you to pile on, but as you pointed out, they didn't look prepared for the blitzes, and I get that they're somewhat uncommon in the preseason, but given the Broncos' challenges with protection over the last couple of years, it seems to me that they should have been able to expect teams to blitz because teams are going to test that and see if the Broncos have really gotten any better. Uh, is there a reason you believe that they were unprepared for that? Uh, and we're, we're not that far out of the week of the, uh, the season, that even in preseason week one, you weren't really prepared how to handle those kind of blitzes and has it been a focus to shore that up this week
0: um i think so and that's that's something that i wrote about you know over at mile high sports is that that was an emphasis they they wanted to work on their communication and, and sean payton wanted vance joseph when they doing the move the ball period 75 yards said, hey, send pressure i um, mean he said you know you're going to get more pressure like if you have to kick a field goal in a game teams and they, and teams know that they're going to send you more pressure to try to get you out of field goal range Uh, So I thought that they responded relatively well. Russ has done a good job kind of using his legs as well, creating some plays, extending it outside the pocket at times. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is the first week of of training camp. There's really not as much physical contact as I think that you'd like. Um, You know, a lot of it is you start on the bags, the little handbags, which, in my opinion, I mean, the NFL puts it in as a safeguard, but that doesn't make you any better as those little handbags that other guys are holding because it doesn't account for guys who are trying to club your hands down. Rip through you or, or swim through you, you know, making different moves. You, you just don't get that with the bags there, and so there hasn't been a lot of live live contact that they have initiated, and, and I think a lot of that has been due to that. And, and I think there's also some questions as well. You know, Zach Streve, not very experienced as a head coach. Obviously, I'm not as a head coach as an offensive line coach, um, but for him, he's played a lot in the NFL. So how can he get these guys to see it quicker? There's going to be pressure on him because Sean Payton, even though hey, you played for Payton for all them years. Peyton wants that unit to succeed. He hates losing. He hates things looking bad. And one thing I know about Sean Payton, just by being around him, if if something is bad, he's not going to just let it be bad. If somebody can't change it, he's going to go in and he's going to change it himself. So I think that is something promising to keep an eye on. If you are a Broncos fan, if there are some issues that do linger.
2: Is Adam Troutman winning the tight end job, or is Greg Dulcich losing it?
0: Um, You know, I wouldn't even say it's a little bit – I wouldn't say it's either at this point. I mean, really, as the depth chart came out, the unofficial depth chart, all of these guys, like Greg Dolcich, I mean, they, they, they've been doing a lot of 12 personnel, um, one running back, two tight ends. They've been doing a lot of 13 um, as well recently this week where they bring in three tight ends and have one running back. They've been mixing and matching and getting every guy in. I mean, whether it's Albert Okuebunam, Dolcich, Trotman, I mean, all these guys are getting reps at the first team, second team, and third team offense. I don't necessarily know at this point if there is really a true order on the depth chart because, I mean, as all the notes I've been taking at practice, it's different guys coming out every day or, like, mixing every other play, coming in and getting some reps there, or even Nate Adkins. So
2: but but it's, he it's looks tough. the best, doesn't he? Doesn't Troutman look the best?
0: He's been, yeah, i say he's been consistent, but Dulcich has definitely looked flashier on some downfield plays. I mean, his speed is next level. Troutman is you need an all-around guy, he is definitely the best option for you right now. Um, and I think maybe that's why he's got a little bit of an advantage overall, not to mention his experience prior. He's doing everything that Sean uh, Payton wants and Sean Payton has asked for, and, and he's emerged as a guy that Russell Wilson has really come to favor. So, yeah, I would say he's probably got the advantage right now, but as Sean Payton said a couple weeks ago, all of these tight ends that they keep on the roster, they're going to be playing on Sunday. So I'm excited to see what, uh, what they decide to do.
1: He is Cody Rourke. Make sure you give him a follow at Cody Rourke NFL on Twitter and check out everything he's putting together, the Good Morning Broncos show every morning at 9 a.m. on the weekdays and make sure that's terrific. A little bite-sized content to keep you updated with all the Broncos' latest news and, of course, puts together a podcast and all the writing over at Miley Sports. You can get all of that at MyLifeSports.com or even easier, bundle all of it together with the Miley Sports app, everything that Cody puts together, plus all the radio shows and everything, all in your pocket. Cody, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
0: Appreciate you, gentlemen. Have a good one.
1: All right, thanks, Cody Rourke, joining us. And the a good points there, I think, on the offensive line coaching and, and the, the to be fair, the setup, the way things work with the CBA, he's right. Uh, it is hard to, to mimic the way, when you're on an offensive lineman, defenses will approach you when you're talking about not being able to, to have the full physicality, the, the way they handle it with the pads, it's not quite the same thing. And maybe that's all the more reason why building an offensive line is so difficult in the NFL, and why other teams, when you're talking about guys hitting free agency, there probably should be a a little bit of a buyer beware tag because it's really hard to put together those lines. Good linemen aren't allowed to leave. (laughs) At least uh, they're not allowed to leave good teams.
2: Um, I want to clean up the, uh, the John Lynch quote a little bit because what I said was close, but actually the quote was, Preseason doesn't count, but it does matter. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's kind of the context of many of our uh, questions here. It does matter that Garrett Bowles looked especially slow and, in fact, looked like a guy who's basically washed up the other night. Uh, Ben Powers was getting overpowered more often than not. And that, I mean, that does matter. And you don't have McGlinchey. You won't have them at all during the preseason, either on the practice field or in the two remaining games. And as Cody pointed out, you're facing a Raider team that has few clear strengths, but one of them is pass rushing, both inside and out, because Max Crosby can come at you both ways. Max Crosby has 11 and 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 half sacks have, in eight uh, games against the Broncos. You have documented Yikes. how effective Max Crosby has, been, has been against the Broncos. Down. And, frankly, against a good
1: many other teams around the NFL in recent years. On the bright side, you know, the preseason games do matter if they don't count. And that means that the game against the 49ers is an opportunity to flip the narrative. We'll see if the Broncos do that. Up in Boulder, uh, <laughs> what's the expectation there when somebody uh, gets knocked around? Well, Deion Sanders might have a different one from them. the rest of you. We'll hear from him next on LA Sports.
0: Sandy Cuff and Sean Tar, presented by SuperBook Sports. Download the SuperBook app and start winning today at SuperBook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
2: He just fought. I seen two of y'all walking off over there, and you got a keep teammate fighting. What they do there? No Nowhere. No what What they do there? Not here. Nowhere. In one fight, we all fight. You understand that? No, sir. I don't
0: want to see y'all walking off with somebody's fight. Yes, sir. Never again. Oh, yeah. Walk oh, yeah. off.
1: Oh, there right. Come on. Dion Sanders up at practice yesterday when there was a, a scuffle, by the way, that, uh, you know, that, that there's a, a few outlets and give the, uh, the Sanders family some credit for putting together video in a couple different spots uh, but this was on YouTube from posted by Dean Sanders Jr. in specific but the idea that Look,
2: it's about 36 minutes long <laughs> <You> know,
1: <there's laughs> fights in there there but- was a, a a tussle by the way and that's really what it was at the end what you what you didn't see is at the end hey, of a play as fights go it wasn't much yes at the at the end of the play you kind of had uh one of the players wrestling the the running back kind of the ground a little and more and he'd already him. scored and it was right. a little
2: late but he, he was more or less and the, wrestling. one of the linemen kind of came up and, and the lineman got number 69 whoever that yeah that was uh get, got up in the defender's face pretty aggressively uh but after that, it, it said, yes there were more defensive players and offensive players in the general vicinity uh Sanders was right. Two or three guys did walk away, but they were just kind of milling around. And the, the key indicator was that it took the coaches 15 to 20 seconds to go in and break it up because there
1: wasn't much to break up. There wasn't. But, there was a lot of milling around. But I, here's where, in the, in, and look, I get it. With Deion Sanders, everything has turned out to 11. It's just what it is.
2: And everything has that uh, reality show vibe. It does. Let's be it does. clear about that including the presence of Terrell Owens. In uh, practice, And
1: here. K.J. Hamler, by the
2: way. Well, well, yeah, K.J. Hamler's not controversial. right? Terrell Owens, K.J. Hamler plays for the Broncos. You can understand why uh, during his recuperation period he'd take in a Colorado football practice. He lives here. Uh, Terrell Owens doesn't the last time I looked, and that's yeah. out of the Urban Meyer uh
1: well, except in this case, bringing an old teammate
2: over to uh, well, you know, whatever—that's fine. Come on now, uh, it, it, you know, and that it, it's it. I think it takes away a little bit from. I, and I admire the fact that they're putting all this stuff out there, and the, you know, some of the, I guess, bad stuff too. There's a lot but, of practice, but those it. are those are. Rig, the, yeah. I will say, and, that. and and that's that's nice. But there is that reality
1: show there is, vibe but to it. You know in, what, though, Sandy? It's a
2: little like Hard
1: Knocks where you got a lot of people playing in the camp. Why Why do they have Hard Knocks on, though? Why does Hard Knocks exist? Because it brings eyeballs to the NFL? What Deon, I will say this. What Deion Sanders is doing, and I get it, I, we're not the audience. We're not the audience for that. You know who is? High school kids. Transfer portal kids. Yeah. They're the yeah. audience. And they're going, wow, you know, T.O. might come to my locker room if I go join Deion Sanders in Colorado. That's where the audience is for. And that's, that's fine. But... I, I will say, do really when, think Ter- Terrell Owens is a big name to high school kids today? Bigger than anyone I, else. I, I anybody else going to bring in? So, I, I don't you know. Most of them never heard
2: of him. I, I mean, he played twenty years ago. So, but the fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. I I don't know. I, I don't know I, how I, relevant that is to eighteen year olds who never seen him play and in many cases probably never heard of. They him. can Google. Him same thing go, with hey, Urban hey. Meyer. Well, yeah, but... Uh, well, Urban why, Meyer was also
1: it? up in part because of the, he's on the studio for the Fox broadcast of the right. first couple of games. But but let's go to the Dion quote and the, and the, the fighting idea here. I Dion says a lot of things. <laughs> but this one, I kind of get there's a method behind the madness. and And that's the idea that this team, because it's cobbled together from the transfer portal from all over the country, one of the major concerns, not from the celebrity side, but from the coaching side, is how quickly can you get this team to come together because they're all brand new to each other. Virtually no holdovers of significance. And the few holdovers of significance are dealing with all new teammates. That part of it, where maybe it's not the best idea to encourage an all-out brawl every time there's a tussle, but at the same time, one of the ideas that I think they're trying to make very clear is, no, here we stand up for our teammates whether they're whether you know them or not yet, whether they're your buddy or not, we stand up for teammates. If you wear the same jersey, you go stand up for your teammates. It is one of the tools, I think, to try to continue to uh, to bring this. They're trying to microwave some sort of chemistry, and You're right.
2: And, 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 and this I'm is fine. one of
1: those I, efforts I, in a ways to I, do that.
2: I thought it was a way for him to make a point. Uh, you know, I know people say you don't get hurt in hockey fights or football fights. Well. Sometimes you, do. Sometimes you uh, do. This wasn't a real fight, though. <laughs> it really wasn't. And, but it gave him a chance to make a point. And I think the point was fair, whether you thought of it as a brawl, a fight, uh, a fracas, a scuffle. Uh, it, I, my view is barely a scuffle. But it gave him a chance to make the point. If one guy is involved, you all need to be there. In the vicinity, at least. I mean, you don't have to be throwing haymakers anybody with a different color uniform on, but you have to be there in support of your teammate. And I, I think that's a fair observation. Uh, the hockey, I hate to call it code because that's oftentimes just a lot of bunk. Uh, but, but anytime but, it's unwritten rules, yeah, it's kind unwritten of Unwritten rules kind of, and kind codes of and everything nonsense. else. But it, if your best player, uh, for the avalanche of McKinnon or McCarr gets cheap-shotted, uh, the guy who delivered the cheap shot it is, is going to receive a response from somebody. And, and it doesn't have to be a full-scale bench clearing brawl. All those things don't exist anymore. Fighting barely exists anymore. But there has to be some kind of response. And that's what Sanders is talking about. And the response can't be Walking away in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and laughing about it. Not at this which point. Which you could kind of see was yeah. going going which, on. And it's, which I sort of get because it wasn't a, a full-fledged
1: fight. Right. I mean, I get it. It's
2: always interesting to see you practice because there is a lot of laughing and joking, and that seems to be encouraged. But then when a scuffle like this breaks out, you're not supposed to be laughing and joking around even though the scuffle was kind of worth laughing at. I thought, I I thought, but he, you know, there are things he's serious about and that's one of them. If one of your teammates is in a fight, you know, it's the, the old, uh, what
1: happens if, what happens if somebody from say NATO rule, right? You attack one, you attack a, right now, my, my curiosity, and I'm saying this with a little bit of uh, what happens if uh, somebody from Southern Cal scores a touchdown on that game uh, September 30th in Boulder and then runs out to the 50-yard line and stands and poses on the Buffalo? Yeah. I mean, I, did anyone ask? Because yeah. Terrell Owens was no, there. No. And he did speak.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, on, this, uh, on this video, he did, <laughs> did speak, but it was mostly about whether he had any designs on coaching. Yeah. And he kind of said, no. <laughs> it's too much work. Which was an honest response.
1: Yeah, he has too much money to worry about that, yeah. and that stuff, yeah. right? Exactly. But uh, so. yeah, the the Buffaloes get going uh, on just uh, just a couple weeks now. September second, uh, obviously, when you're looking at that game against TCU, both of those first and two games on. Fox I will be there, and very very curious. It will be a these next couple weeks will be fascinating. And tomorrow, by the way, we'll have Justin Adams uh, right. on to we'll talk to a, talk a, about a about little it. bit about that as well. Justin, of course, formerly tight end at. The University of Colorado to talk about that,
2: but um, but the idea that Dion wants Colorado fighting, I'm not sure. I don't, that was I the don't point think he that's the making. case.
1: I, I, in fact, I totally disagree. That was the case. Yeah, I don't yeah, think he wants to When you
2: actually saw it, and and but he and said listened that, to his. Response. Yeah, but he said we're just. He wasn't saying no. He's I saying, want stick more up of this. This teammate. is great. It was like when there it happens. was one lineman down there yeah. sticking up for his teammate. Yeah, and the rest. Where of were the rest you, of you guys? Really, and there were a few of you walking in the opposite direction. And go defend your teammate. That.
1: That's that's can't what he's it. basically saying. And you know what? I and that one, I don't disagree, especially when you're I, I talking about trying to them. get this chemistry for all these disparate parts assembled in such a short span of time. I don't think there's anything particularly. And you know what? I
2: do like the fact that he makes no pretense being anything but a CEO kind of head coach. No. I mean, he's got the foot issued now, and so he's riding around a golf cart. Mm-hmm. And You know, he's observing a lot of things and he's talking during the practice, but you can see the team is being coached. You you can see that the team is being coached by the coordinators, by the position coaches. Uh, There is no shortage of coaching.
1: going on. That's a good, you know, that's a really good point too, because you're right. Not everybody is comfortable with the, the transparency there. Right. I mean, the, and I, I'm I'm with you. I sort of I shouldn't say sort of. I, I quite appreciate the transparency there. There isn't any sort of trick about oh well you know Deion Sanders is uh, is working on his playbook and his. That's not what he does. And he, and I think to his credit, he's not really indicating that he does do that at all. There's there's been no um, artifice that Deion Sanders no, no, is, no, is no. busy scheming no. away he's, on the whiteboard. Bill Belichick, right. And, and he's never pretended that he was, and I actually think that's really good. Remember, one of the reasons or even that, that CU landed Deion Sanders, by the way, is Sanders reportedly wanted one of the largest assistant coaches pools right. in the country. Well, and he got a head coach to be right, his he got offensive He got a head coach to quit his current head coaching job to be the coordinator. And he got an Alabama assistant, very right. well regarded to be his defensive And the reason that happened, quite simply, is because he made it very clear, I'm not really the coach as the Belichicks and Sabans right. of the world are. I, I, I do that's something how I different. Charles right. Kelly is going to run the defense. Yeah. Sean Lewis is going right. to run the offense. I coach them. Right. They coach you. Well, And I'm okay with that. Th- th-
2: there's more they coach you than there is I coach them. Yes. Uh, to be honest. Sure, sure there is. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe, they have maybe the full way,
1: autonomy. We conference together. Yeah. <laughs> we we have our weekly oh, staff yeah. meetings, and then they coach you. But that's and a, I don't it, think there's anything it, wrong with it. By the way, all. Um, Bill McCartney coached that way, and he did a lot okay. of successful coaches in in the collegiate world. That's have exactly that
2: way. how. I, I mean, uh, McCartney was
1: at his best when he had his headsets on. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, and I think with Deion Sanders, I, I appreciate the idea that, despite the fact that there is so much of a reality TV show vibe, none of that's part of it. None of that's part of it. The idea that that Dion's really the the head coach behind the scenes that that's no, never no, been no, the case. No, but that's
2: great. No, I think that's great. No, no, they, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's dishonest. No, I think I, I, I'm, I think we're commending but him for it for it. It is. It's. It, it is a bit of a
1: show. Mm-hmm. There's some. Uh, theatricality about it. But where it could be easy to to make him sort of the professor kind of thing. That's not what he's doing. Oh, no, no, no. And even,
2: even they show him talking to the team, and he's making the point about his recuperation and what his objective is, and that's to lead his team running out onto the field at TCU on September 2nd. And he says, that's what I think about when I get up in the morning. I think about coming and coaching the team and everything. But I think about my recuperation, I think about being able to run out with my team, leading my team out onto the field uh, for the TCU opener. Well, and he says to the players, what's your motivation? Right. Basically, you know, what do you get up in the morning intending to do? What's your level of intentionality? And I, I, it's, it's, his way, yes, it's about his own recuperation at the beginning, but he ties it in by asking the question to every player in that room: "What gets you going?" Deion Sanders has had
1: day? a has started a partnership with uh, UC Health, where they refer to him as the chief motivational officer. Well, that's that's kind is. of what he is.
2: Well, and and the McCartney thirty for thirty special, it was all they asked McCartney: "What what do you consider?" yourself to be. And he says, I basically major in exhortation. That's Deion Sanders.
1: There's nothing wrong with it when it works. You hear that? That is the sound of football coming back, and now's the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in Vegas, and now you can use promo code MileHigh to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus, and that means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with promo code High. So don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and that promo code, easy to remember, MileHigh. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When we come back, I suspect Sandy Clough has strong opinions, not necessarily on Buddy Parker, although maybe a little bit on Buddy Parker, but on who was omitted from the Hall of Fame finalist class because, or at least in lieu of Buddy Parker. We'll talk about that next on Miley Sports. Hey!
0: This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports.
1: The Pro Football Hall of Fame nomination for the coaches and contributor finalists. There are there were twelve, and um, for arguments that become increasingly ridiculous year after year, uh, they can only elevate one to being a finalist because that just gets silly. Because. The, the people who are in there in that 12-man list, I think half a dozen of them are probably slam-dunk Hall of Famers. That includes Mike Shanahan, who was not selected. Instead, Buddy Parker select, uh, was selected. Shanahan, by the way, told Nine News, it's an honor to be nominated for the NFL Hall of Fame and be part of the selection. I would like to congratulate the family and friends of Buddy Parker because, in a, in a manner of speaking— not that Buddy Parker isn't deserving. In fact, there are some similarities with Mike Shanahan. Right. Buddy Parker won back-to-back yeah. titles yeah. with the early 50s in the early 50s and, with the Detroit Lions, who have been right. abysmal ever since. Right. And the Detroit Lions in the
2: 50s were actually pretty good. They won mm-hmm. several championships, including in 1957. Of course, they haven't won since. They barely won a playoff game since. Uh, but that was that was Bobby Lane, and that was post Buddy Parker. He yeah. was the coach there for about six years in in the early to mid 1950s. And his claim to fame was he beat Paul Brown's Cleveland Browns and saved the honor of the NFL in the process. Mm-hmm. Because you remember the Browns under Paul Brown were in the all American conference. They dominated there. And the NFL said that was a Bush league. Well, the Browns came in and won some championships in the NFL and buddy Parker kind of put a stop to that with his Detroit lions a couple of times beating Paul Brown's Cleveland Browns in a championship game. So for the 1950s, if you're talking about great coaches of all time in the college and professional ranks, I think Paul Brown was
1: pretty much at the top of the list and buddy Parker outcoached him a few. times. Well, and again, this is where the similarities overlap, not only back-to-back championships, but as you pointed out, Mike Shanahan, one of the few coaches to actually stifle bill Belichick. Yeah. And yeah. moreover, Shanahan, of course, renowned for the way that his uh, West Coast style of offense is still basically, uh, it has metamorphosized over the years, but it is still very well, much Well, he refined ingrained. the Bill Walsh it right. It's been yeah. refined, and it's been refined ever since. I think Andy Reid and others are refining sure. Shanahan's oh, wow. version, absolutely. for sure. absolutely. But uh, Buddy Parker also basically given credit for, with Bobby Lane, the yes. terrific quarterback, <laughs> basically creating the two-minute offense, that that high-speed type of offense we see now. So when you look at Shanahan and Parker, these guys, guys, in a lot of ways, kind of similar career paths. Mike
2: Shanahan was the Buddy Parker of the 1990s as a a head coach. And I don't know that anybody ever said about Buddy Parker, as uh, was said about Mike Shanahan, that uh, uh, it was Matt Millen, in fact, who was then the general manager of the Detroit Lions, who came on a radio show with... uh, uh, Mike Evans and me uh, many years ago and said, Mike Shanahan has lapped the field. I don't know that anybody said Buddy Parker had lapped Paul Brown or the other coaches the field and in the NFL, but Buddy Parker was a hell of a coach and he was a better than 500 coach in Pittsburgh during a time when uh, the Steelers were becoming famous and they would continue to be famous until Chuck Noll came along in the 1970s for not even making the playoffs, much less winning playoff games. But Buddy Parker in Pittsburgh had a 5.21
1: percent. The a longtime reporter South Antonio, Mike Pliss, interviewed him for a story on 9 News. We're checking out 9 news.com. And he talked about Parker as well. So Buddy Parker was a great candidate. The thinking was Buddy Parker probably should have been nominated by the Centennial Committee that I was on in 2020. But right. he did not come out of that committee. He's been on the docket now, and that's why he kept bubbling to the surface and finally got through uh, he believed the top four were Parker, Shanahan, Mike Holmgren, and Robert Kraft, who I believe are all Hall of Fame worthy. Certainly, uh, Kraft and Shanahan, and I, I think Holmgren quite frankly as well. I,
2: you know what? I have no problem with the Robert Kraft being in the Hall of Fame. I do have a problem with Robert Kraft conducting his own a 365-day-a-year, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week ongoing campaign to have himself elected. But this might be that's my only problem, and I'm sorry. A coach is more important than an owner, absolutely, as far as winning championships is concerned. And I'm right there with Sal on uh, Shanahan and Homer. Uh, Uh,
1: Absolutely, Sal also thought that one of the one of the folks that was on there was John Wooten, by the way, former University of Colorado Uh, lineman. Right, should also be there. But this is where my beef is. This is how the and I get it. Hall of Fame is one of your main selectives. but. The Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame, this has to get smarter. We just rolled through an enormous number of names, the guys that should already be in and even Pat Lantoni, who was on the Centennial Committee. No small honor well, to it, be on the guy selecting that. Right. Pointed out Parker should have come out he of it, it then. He should have come out of it then. But there's just and a I backlog that they're trying to fill. Right. I hope Mike Shanahan doesn't have to wait as long as Buddy Parker had to wait. And th- that's where I think the Hall of Fame needs to look at itself and say, look, there or Buddy are, Parker's family. There, yeah, Buddy Parker's family, of course. And and there are concerns about this because there are moments in football, in every sport where there is a glut of great players. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Uh, great players, great contributors. Can you imagine if because of whatever reason, look at the great players in the in the nineteen eighties in, let's say the NBA, right? Let's say that all of a sudden, you know, they decide to just be really selective in Springfield. You're like, well, you can put in Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or John Stockton or Carl Malone, or, you but, can't you can't just, but just one at a time, please. That's yeah. just farcical. Yeah, it's, stupid. it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It actually doesn't make your home more exclusive. It makes it less relevant. Well, well see, to me, I think
2: with baseball, maybe not so much recently, but there's almost a tendency to let too many guys in. and The Pro Football Hall of Fame has always struck me as they, Way they don't let enough too. guys in and there's too much horse trading. There are too many people voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame and too few yep. for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I know they branched out and there are these various committees and so on now. But it, it seems to me that there was so much horse trading going on and there still may be. I'll vote for your guy if you vote for mine. And the Buddy Parkers of the world kind of get left out because... I'm sorry to say this. I am sure Sal Palantonio is one of the few who would be able to tell you off the top of his head who Buddy Parker was. I couldn't most of these voters would never have heard of him, much less be able to tell you to be
1: honest. I had not
2: but but that's all right. You're not a Hall of Fame voter. You're not a Hall of Fame voter, and he does come out of the nineteen fifties, decades before. But if I'm a Hall of Fame voter,
1: I'm doing my research. But
2: well, yes. And this is the, the it took Jeff Legwald on the part of Floyd Little, and Jeff wasn't alone. Uh, Woody Page, I'd like to think I helped out a little bit because mm-hmm. the tape of my interview with Floyd, yeah. Floyd wanted sent out to uh, uh, certain uh, certain people, and they heard it, and hopefully it had it helped some. But what I'm saying is, Jeff Legwald merely asked people to look some clips of Floyd Little and begin to understand he was running behind an atrocious offensive line because the Hall of Fame people said, well, he only averaged 3.9 yards per carry. And I said, an average back wouldn't have averaged three yards a carry behind that offensive line. And all you have to do is watch the clips to see how he was avoiding tacklers and averaging pretty much four yards a carry, 3.9 And because it wasn't four or 4.1, they're keeping them out of the hall. The, the, the (laughs) concern about that is Jim Brown. Oh, by the way, said it's
1: a joke that Floyd Little's not right. And and this is where it's, it's silly because uh, I I admit I, and, and my lack of knowledge from buddy Parker, I think is, is one of the reasons oddly as to why this is problematic. I didn't know who buddy Parker was because as you pointed out, he Decades before I was born and uh you know, I'm not obviously super well into my knowledge of early nineteen fifties football. I certainly know who Bobby Lane was, and I well, certainly understand that. And you also have to understand what the NFL but I was also, in that in, at that but time even the 1950s, I looked at Buddy Parker yesterday. The NFL wasn't big. Right. But I looked at Buddy Parker yesterday, even a cursory glance of his career, and I'm like, why hasn't he been in the Hall of Fame for decades? He's got an obvious case. This is an oh, obvious God. Hall of Famer. Right. Why hasn't he been there for literally decades? And that's there's because there's one coach there's an artificially in Detroit who's ball. won a championship. Yeah, other than Buddy Parker, <laughs> one. It is yeah. it is an artificially created limit that is there for perception only to make it feel more exclusive, and it's stupid. It's stupid, and the 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 Pro Football Hall of Fame needs to get better about it. Needs to start figuring out that. Uh, but put it this way: nobody would have walked through Robert Kraft regardless of campaigning, uh, Mike Holmgren, Mike Shanahan, Randy Gradishar. if all of those people are in, nobody walks through that building 10 years from now and goes, wow, those guys are all the same class. Wow, what a bloated class. Nobody, nobody, not a single person who ever walked through would say that. Of course. It's just stupid. And, and the Hall needs to be smarter about what they're doing because they are cutting their own nose off to spite their face. I agree. Couldn't agree more. And there, there are a n-
2: number of people... Who vote from the Hall of Fame every year, for whom I have tremendous respect. There just aren't enough of them, and there's too much horse trading going on. And deserving candidates, if they ever get in, have to wait and wait and wait and wait because of these silly rules that limit the number of people you can
1: elect. Yes, and, and, and you know, I don't have to say. You know, Buddy Parker passed away in, in uh, I believe 1982. Right. Um, right. But you look at his career. Gosh, you. Maybe should have even been alive when he made the hall. I mean, it's that it's that ridiculous. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I mean,
2: it's hard to win back to back championships. I don't care what era. Dan Reeves deserves about. to be
1: in the hall. Probably did. I, I think so. But and you know what? You know, maybe they, you guess they wanted, it's, but it's too,
2: it's too late. But yeah. Well you'd like to see guys get in while they're alive. <laughs> and when people have heard of them. Yeah. And I mean, Buddy Parker passed away more than forty years ago. Even people who might have known something about him one time probably have forgotten what they knew i mean yeah. over 40 years <laughs> that's sort of age 20 to age 60 you forget a lot by
1: the way not sandy Clough, who immediately re- realized the exactly the exact order of which teams won the nfl title in the 1950s in sequence during the well, break as i was bringing it up okay. so uh not that man right there to my left danny bailey's the guy in the booth that makes everything work both uh video audio you can catch it all at my life sports.com. watch or listen Uh, Thanks to all of you listening over the FM or on the HD radio, but especially thanks on the app because you can get uh, not only all this, of our program and the individual interviews, but you can get every program here. And we heard from Cody Rourke. Thanks to Cody for joining us. You can get all his work as well, including even the uh, Good Morning Broncos YouTube show that he puts together all on the app. So just get it all in one place. Grab that Mile High Sports app. We will be back with more as the Broncos get closer to their second preseason game against the 49ers That'll do it for us today, but we'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, for Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Miley
0: Sports.